This show is sponsored by Set for Life Insurance, the ultimate client experience in the insurance industry. Are you looking for the perfect insurance coverage that suits your needs? Founded in 1993 by President Jamie K. Fleischner, Set for Life Insurance specializes in individual life, disability, and long-term care insurance. As brokers, they represent numerous companies in the industry, ensuring that their clients get the best products at the most cost-effective rate. What sets Set for Life Insurance apart? You'll enjoy special discounts, priority underwriting handling, and even exceptions in the underwriting process. So why wait? Contact Set for Life Insurance today and let them be your insurance partner for life. Visit their website at setforlifeinsurance.com or call them at 1-888-553-3559. Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On this week's episode, we have a guest host. So please be the same respectful audience you are for me and enjoy. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. I'm your guest host today, Dr. Coben Solberg. Today, I'll introduce you to Dr. Dina George, a family medicine doctor, an entrepreneur, and a phenomenal physician coach. I'm so excited to talk to her today. So the I'm Coben Solberg. I was here as a guest with Bradley a few weeks ago, and Bradley graciously offered to give me the microphone. I don't know what he was thinking. And I'm here today with the incomparable Dr. Dina George. Dina is a remarkable coach, a phenomenal physician, just a blast to talk to. So thank you for being here today, Dina. It's an honor to be here. Before we were recording, I was saying it feels like we're long lost friends, not, and neither of us are lost, but it does feel like we're friends. And I'm so glad for that. Well, thank you. It's nice to reconnect with people who are on the same journey as you are and provide support, even at like, even if we haven't talked in a few years now, like I still know that you're there and I still know that you're supporting me. So it's nice to see you again. Huge fan, huge fan of you and Julie and your son and all of the wonderful things that you are doing. Well, thank you so much. And likewise, you know, I had a few things that I was thinking about and I would love to talk to you about, but I was reading a newsletter in the last couple of weeks by Oliver Berkman, who wrote 4,000 Weeks, which is a phenomenal book. And he was talking about to-do lists and a way to reframe them where You think about them more like a menu, meaning your mindset shifts to where you're actually choosing and excited about the things you're working on. And he gave this great analogy. He's like, you go to one of those diners in New Jersey or New York, and they have everything on the menu, right? They have burgers and pizza and Greek food and like everything. And you're not upset that you can't eat everything on the menu. Whereas I feel like we're often, we feel overwhelmed because we have all these things we feel like we need to do instead of choosing the things that light us up. And so what's got your attention these days and what's lighting you up? My family and my faith. And those are two things that I really have put in the background. As a high achiever and somebody who is very well-versed and makes wonderful to-do lists, everything for everyone else had to be on top. And I had to earn the right to spend time with my family. I had to earn the right to put my faith, put time into my faith and really grow it. 
because most people that I knew weren't doing either of those. They were tackling that to-do list. And boy, is it a huge mindset shift because to be with my family, to truly be there means I have to shut this thing off. I got to say, no, no, I'm here. I want to hear their words. I want to see their expression. I want to see how they're feeling. I want to connect with them at that level. I want to focus on what's important to them. And none of that is on the to-do list. So it absolutely brings me joy. My son is a senior in college. He goes to college three miles down the road. He has a girlfriend that they've been together for quite a while. And I want to just sit and look at them, look at each other. I want to sit and hear how they're thinking about their future. I want to sit and just notice as he reaches over and holds her hand or just touches her head. I want to notice the tenderness in that because that is what lights my heart up. That's what I think life is all about for me are these expressions of love, like pure love, not transactional love, not I'm going to give so I get, but pure love that is just, oh, it's so beautiful. I want to enjoy my husband in the same way, the way he looks at me. We've been together for a very long time and I have to be present in that moment. I have to shut all of the things that my mind has been wired to pay attention to. I have to shut them down. For those of who are, you who are listening and not you know, watching on YouTube, Dina's face totally just lit up for the last few minutes, which was so fun to see. And you brought up a couple of things there that I want to dig in a little bit more. One was the idea of presence and attention, which I think is really, really powerful, right? Like it's not just enough to spend your time that way. You really need to be attentive and almost like a ritual where you're really, I mean, you talked about this, just like giving your full devotion and attention to other people is almost like a ritual, which I think is really powerful. Um, and then the other piece you brought up is, you know, we look around, we don't have a lot of great examples and we see everything, everyone else ignoring the things that we tell ourselves are most important. And we almost feel like that's normal. The things that grab our attention are, for me, they're distractions that grab my attention. And being present. And you and I have talked a lot about being present and what it requires. And it's getting comfortable with all of the things that come up when we're still. So when I think about being still and being quiet, it's, did I do this? Did I do that? What about this? What about that? Did I plan for tomorrow? Am I ready for this? What if this happens, right? I have to be able to just be at peace with all of that, with all of the doubt, the uncertainty, the unknown, the potential things that could happen. And just say right here, right now, I just want to listen to my heart. I just want to be where my heart wants to be, which is capturing these glimpses of the lives that are so important to me. And I don't want to miss a moment of that because I feel like I've been distracted for so long. And now that I have a 21-year-old and he has a significant other and my husband is here and working at home, it's like, oh, there's just so much opportunity to really capture this but it requires me to do the work and dispel the lies that the other stuff is what's important and to really build my faith and my belief that this moment, it's all I have and it's what's important. And this is what leads me closer to my faith. This is what I think that God made me for, was to be here and to show love, to be present and show what a life well-lived and a mind well-managed looks like. Well, you certainly are a great guide and a great mentor for many people. And so tell me, you know, tell me more about 
some of these practices you do to help shut off those distractions. And I think, you know, I think for so many of our colleagues in medicine, there's a never ending list of things. And I think from the moment we started pre-med, we feel behind. How do you start working on this? Because I think it's a lifelong thing, but how, like what, what has helped you? So I will tell you that I came into 2023, I sat with my dear friend, Dr. Don Sears on New Year's Eve, and I showed her what my year was going to look like. And it was color-coded and outlined, and it had <laughs> examples, and there were arrows and lines and dots, like bullet. Oh, man, it was so pretty. And I showed her, and I said, this is what 2023 is going to be. And she smiled, and she nodded. And I think deep down, she knew that I was in for a big crash. Because right at the beginning of 2023 was this significant call for quiet and stillness. And it was completely unwelcome, unwarranted, unprovoked, unwanted. I fought it. I ignored it. I ran away from it. And it just didn't go away. And then at some point, I was like, you know what? I really need to listen, which meant cutting out about 50% of the things that I was doing that were keeping me from being still and being present. And then I realized, oh, wait, this is for my own good, actually. Being still, being quiet, being present and listening has really brought up the two things that I have tried to run away from and carry at the same time, which are this feeling like I'm not good enough and the feeling of not being worthy, like I have to do more. And my identity was wrapped up in what I do rather than who I am in what I can show others, what I can fix. And boy, you could, if you ask my son, I think he would share a lot of, he would tell me a problem and I'd want to fix it. You know, in medicine, we do that, right? Somebody gives us a problem, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it right away. We may or may not ask for their input or even their buy-in. We're going <laughs> to fix it. So this year has been about addressing those two things, enoughness and worthiness, and then opening up to the capacity to receive because being present means that I'm open to share, but I also need to be open to receive. It can't be a one-way thing because that's not an authentic relationship. It's noticing, it's journaling, it's prayer, it's adoration, it's conversation about those times when it comes up because it, it still does. It's just not as frequent and it's easier to identify. And then just going back to the same practices and being very, very kind and remembering that I'm human. This is a process, not a one-time event. And getting it right can look in like so many different things rather than just an all or nothing. I either got it right or I didn't get it right. I mean, I love that. And, you know, I'll tell you as a, you know, relatively new father, the idea of enoughness and worthiness comes up all the time. In medicine, it's easy. In medicine, I know that I'm great at what I do. And I had, you know, I had a really difficult conversation with my own parents recently where you know, they were asking me, they were interested in asking me about work. And I was like, mom, I don't care about work. Like, I know I'm good at what I do, but this being a dad thing, like scares the living bejesus out of me. Like, I don't know if I'm messing my kid up. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. It was hard because it's, you feel like you're not enough. And it, it just has like, but you get to this place where you realize that you are enough and it's a beautiful place and it keeps coming back up. So how did you get there? You know, it's a lot of the same practices that you mentioned. So since Wes is almost two, he'll be two at the end of September. And 
all these practices that I've tried to have in my life for a long time, like decades, have finally fallen into place. Things like working out every day or um, a big one for me has been reading and just time, just kind of unstructured time, whatever that looks like each morning. So in the mornings I work out and then spend a few minutes meditating and then a few minutes journaling. And I'd say I probably hit five days a week on that. And the days that I do, there's just a sense of stillness and presence in the rest of the day that didn't exist before. But I've also learned to give, like today is a great example. You know, there's a lot of changes going on in our house recently. And both Julie and I are really struggling with sleep the last few weeks. And last night was just a really hard night of sleep. And so this morning I gave myself some grace and slept in and did those things later in the day. So I think it's a little bit of both of those things. The other piece, there's one of my absolute favorite podcasts is Shane Parrish's The Knowledge Project. He's so curious and asks such amazing questions. And he had Jim Detmer on in the last year, he talked about the four pillars of integrity. And he has this, you can literally feel it when you're listening to this podcast. He's about how you feel when you're in alignment and when you're out of alignment. And, you know, like if you're withholding something from your spouse, you're, you're out of alignment and you feel it. And I think I've re-listened to that and reread that transcript probably 10 times this year to try and get more into that place of just feeling that quiet alignment with my soul. And it is, it's just a process. You just keep coming back to it. And what you describe is a mindset that says, I'm a better human when I do these things. And if I'm a better human, I'm a better parent when I'm doing these things. I'm a stronger parent. I'm a more present parent. So it, it it's like making the things non-negotiable rather than it's a luxury if I work out. This is non-negotiable. This has to be part of who I am because this is what brings out a better part of who I am. Absolutely. And it's, I don't know if it's been easier for me because Wes is here and I know that I show up better for him when I'm taking care of myself, you know, whether it's like drinks after work or another meeting or all these things that before I would have sort of unthinkingly just said yes to now are hard no's because A, that means I missed bedtime, I missed dinner and there are wasted time. It's definitely been that way. I mean, here's a question that I could use your help with. How do I help my spouse with those things? Because it's, you know, it's something I see my wife struggle with is giving herself permission to take care of herself. I've really had to learn this with Craig because he won't ask. And he is a dear, dear man. He will give until he has nothing left. And then he will look for more to give more. He won't ask. And so What is helpful in our relationship is if I just offer, hey, I noticed this. What do you think about that for you? Hey, I saw this. What do you think about that? Hey, I noticed that there's this area that you haven't gotten back to that you said was really important. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to do something about it? The And then looking around and seeing what is it we can outsource? Because he will try to do as much as he can. What can we outsource? And then I just lead that. Let's try it. And there's so often it feels like all or nothing comes up. If we do it, we have to do it forever. And none of that is true. Let's try it for three months and then see at three months, decide if we want to keep doing it or not. So we're not, it's not a lifelong commitment. We've already made that. That was our marriage. 
These are just things that we're looking to just twist a little bit and see what it sounds like. Kind of like that DJ board. Let's turn this one up. Let's turn this one down and see what the sound quality is for now. Because our relationship now is with a 21-year-old who's at college. Our relationship isn't both of us are in the army and we're new in our careers. So we got to find that right sound for this place in our lives that feels good to both of us because we both deserve that. We deserve to feel good in our own skin. We deserve to feel good as a couple. We deserve to feel good as parents. And we put the work in to make that happen. That, you know, that just sounds so much fun. Like you're doing these little micro experiments all the time. And like what I hear is you're not, you're not tied up in the outcome. You're just doing an experiment. Like regardless of what happens, you're going to be learning from it and taking that information and then taking the next step. And then taking that information and making the next step. Yeah, because we can't possibly know what the balance is going to be until we get it and go, oh, yeah, that's that. We like this. And then when we notice the balance shifts and it doesn't quite feel right, okay, we can't possibly know. So what is it that that we're willing to try and willing to adjust? And I, I think the other thing is that there's debris that gathers over the years. There's debris of things that were just easier to put off, conversations that were easier to put off. This, I take care of me, you take care of you. And what I found is that it's we're doing some hard looks to say, oh, this hasn't been tended to. There's weeds in this part of the garden. This part's been overwatered. Okay, let's just shift it around because we want longevity in our marriage, in our lives and in our marriage. To, to really go the distance, but also to be really gratifying and to be glorifying too. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And you know, one of the books I've read recently was from Peter Atia, who I think is mostly known for some of his stuff on longevity. And many might accuse of him of being like an over-optimizer, but there's a few really salient points that he makes that I love, one of which he talks about the centurion decathlon. So we look around in the hospital often, right? And a lot of the patients we see, they're not doing well in their 70s or 80s or even 60s for that matter. So he says, you know, like, look ahead and think about some of the things you want to be doing when you're 80 or 90. And for me, that's very easy. I still want, I want to be skiing with my son. I want to be traveling all over the world. And he says, if you need to do that, like you're going to be able to need to lift 20 pounds over your head, right? You're going to need to be able to carry your luggage with you. You're going to be, if you're playing with your grandbabies, you're going to need to be able to pick them up or lift yourself off the floor. But I think the most powerful thing that he talked about in that book was the last chapter where he really discusses his struggle with anger and mental health and not enoughness. And he says, none of the rest of the stuff matters if you're not happy. Like nobody gets, you don't get a reward for being miserable. So why not choose to, like, why do we not choose to be happy from the get-go? Why do we not choose to be enough as a starting point? Why do you think, especially in medicine, right? Like we look around and, you know, I think this is getting talked about a lot more over the last few years, but I think it's been hidden for a long, long time. I know for me, there's a disconnect between my head because my head can make it so simple. And then there's my heart and my heart holds memories. It holds events that I hated. It holds things that were so painful and it holds them in a very guarded state. 
So my head could say, why not just be happy and let it go? And my heart's like, you have no idea what they did. You have no idea how how humiliating that was. You have no idea the shame that I feel for that event or that series of events. And until I'm willing to let my heart be open, let my heart be heard, let my heart be seen, and validate myself for those experiences and how real and forgive, forgive myself, forgive others, that's where I think that true happiness comes from. That ability to open the heart and not feel so guarded, not feel like I have to arm up to be part of this world. And it is a journey. Does that process have to be like long and arduous or can we just kind of work through it? And do you think it has to be hard or can it be like, can we, I mean, I've talked about this with you a lot, right? Like, is there a way to make it easy? I don't know that I would use the term easy, but when I focus on what's on the other side, which is peace, and ultimately that's what I want, a life of peace, fulfillment, and freedom, then it makes it simpler. I don't know that there's a shortcut. I suppose if somebody just dedicated a large block of time and had the environment to really like do immersive deep work, that would probably shorten the duration versus taking a a little tiny bit at a time. I think it's so worthwhile. I mean, the fact that I can sit here and say that, that healing is possible and healing matters and healing is what for me allows me to experience the whole range of the human experience. Before we started recording, I said, I lead a very real life. There are things that pierce my heart and there are things that are just overflowing with joy, like pure joy, better than anything I've experienced or any tangible thing that I've experienced on earth. And and I have a life that's full of all of them, all of it. And I'm so glad for it because it tells me that I'm not done. It tells me that there's more room for growth and there's more capacity because when I can feel that piercing, I can feel that joy. And for so long in my life, and I I know I'm not the only one, I I was just kind of this in the middle. I'd feel a little bit of happiness, a little bit of sadness, but it was never in the margins. I think a whole life, the life I want to experience includes the margins and it welcomes the margins. And it says, this is the human experience and this is working towards something greater. How do you find your people? How do you find your community who are taking those risks and pushing themselves or whatever that looks like for them as an individual? It's being willing to be rejected. And it's not rejecting myself or others in advance because I am really good at that, Coben. I am really good at like, don't get too close because you don't know what's back there. I'm also really good at pushing people out or forcefully removing them from my space mentally. It's having conversations like you and I are having conversations and you hear those buzzwords. Somebody who wants to grow in love, grow in depth, somebody who wants to serve, somebody who wants to be present and raise their children intentionally. Like you hear those buzzwords when you're listening to parents on who resonates with how they're parenting and who doesn't. So somebody who's on their iPhone and there's nothing wrong with that while their child plays is probably not parenting the way that you do. It's what you see. It's what you hear. It's what you share. It's the willingness to have an open conversation. And as I talked about Dr. Don Sears, she has taught me a lot about that. 
and she and I put on a conference and basically invited other women who wanted to open their heart and experience community. We're like, come. That was the ACE conference that we did in 2022. And now we're doing one in 2024 called Emerge Stronger. We're like, come. If you want to experience your heart opening, a, a greater sense of who you are, what your life is about, a greater sense of community, like people who are going to support you, who see you and hear you, just come because that's where we'll be at. I think that's one of the most powerful things that you do, Dina, is you willingly put yourself out there and help create these places where people can connect. And you've done it time and time and time again, whether that's on an individual level, but particularly with these conferences. And I think that that's more powerful than you, than you might know. Like the ripples from that go on and on and on. I really appreciate that. I had the gift and the beauty of hearing from women who were at ACE, and it was incredible. Like one woman came up, we had some powerful conversations and some really difficult conversations touching on suicidality, meaning people with suicidal thoughts, either in the past or in the recent past, or family members who had suicidal ideation or had attempted or who were successful. So we talked about that. We talked about the, the depths of pain associated with poor outcomes or complications in the hospital when you're the physician and you're supposed to know it all and take care of it all. Like we had these hard conversations. And at the end of one of them, a woman said, this conference saved my life. And she didn't say anything more. She, we hugged, we looked at each other in the eyes. And I was just like, wow. That's the power of community. That's the power of trying and not holding on to an attachment that this one person is going to be it. You know, this one person who I'm talking to is going to be it. There is no it. It's conversations and invitations. And for those who want to come closer, just say, come closer. It, this is safe. You're safe. Come closer. And if you're not ready, then come back when you are. Well, and that's, it's interesting you say that because I was, you know, what I was thinking about is like, how do we create these opportunities with our colleagues who we see every day in the hospital and the clinic who are at various places on the spectrum? Some of them, some of who know that voice is there and it's coming up and get again and again, and they don't know what to do with it. Some who are further along on that path and some who want nothing to do with that path. But it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is... You just, you know, make these small bids time and time and time again. And the people who are ready to listen will come. Right. So it's just like fishing, right? You just cast. You cast where you think there's a fish or you cast where you think the fish are going to come to and you let it stay there for so long, right? And then you choose something else. Maybe you choose a different lure. Maybe you choose a different location or a different depth and you just keep casting. And there's so many things that are possible. So back in May, and I think I alluded to this in an email, I sent out invitations for the Gathering of Amazing Humans. We rented an Airbnb in Asheville, North Carolina, and I sent out these invitations that were so cool. My son's girlfriend and I, we did them together and they just turned out amazing. We sent them in the mail. We told people how they could sign up, gave them a, who is this for and who's this not for? What's the experience going to be like? And I think there were nine of us and it was so beautiful like nine women with open hearts that just really wanted to connect and be in real community. Not, I support you publicly, but be in real community and share real life, 
which means that whole spectrum of this hurts my heart right now and this brings me so much joy. And it's incredible. But that doesn't have to happen. Like just even a conversation, like I see you're working really hard. Is there something you're working towards? How are things at home? What's your family like? Just asking those questions. Well, and so backing up from how do we, you know, because I can hear all these objections already in my head, right? Like where do we create this, not just space, but really it's time, right? Because we're always rushing. Like how do we just push back a little bit and create that time to look outward? What I'd say is it's creating the mindset to say it doesn't have to take a lot of time to connect with somebody on a heart basis, on a a meaningful basis, doesn't have to take a lot of time. To say, I see you, I notice, I care. I mean, sometimes I just ask people, what can I pray for you for? I love that. What can I pray for you for? It's just so simple, but it, it makes this connection to seeing them. It really creates a lot of depth in a very short period of time. Well, I love, you know, like I kind of get tired of the superficial stuff. It's like, let's just go deep. Let's see what's, let's see what happens. So sometimes I share what I'm struggling with, what I notice. It, it's giving a compliment. Like I, I notice when people are talking and one person is really smiling or somebody comes up because they feel safe and connected to an individual. So like in the hospital, if I notice like a patient's family really connecting with the nurse, I share that. You have a powerful connection with that family. You created a sense of safety for them. I'm so proud to know you. I'm so proud to work with you. That has the potential to open up conversation and it took about 20 seconds. I mean, I bet they love hearing that, right? And that's so, you're, like you say, it's so simple. And on the human level, like we want to be acknowledged. We want to be seen for who we are, not because we showed up. Not because we have a degree, but for who we are, for what we give and what we share. We want to be noticed for it. Well, thank you. I think that's a nice place to wrap this up, Dr. Dina George. Can you, what for our audience, can you tell people how they can find you or find out more about some of these amazing conferences that you put on? Yeah. So Emerge Stronger starts on Leap Day. <laughs> yes, it is Leap Day this year. Yes. So it starts on Leap Day. It's in San Antonio for women physicians and dentists. That's emergefordoctors.com, either with the number four or with the F-O-R, both work. And the podcast I host is called Create an Unstoppable Life. And it's free. It's on all major podcast networks. And her podcast is amazing. I listen to it almost every week. So you have great guests and, you know, you're always very authentic and vulnerable and That's the thing. I feel like I know what's been going on with you for the last little bit because you share most of that on your podcast. So thank you. I think that, and I learned this from Dr. Aaron Wiseman, we're all just trying to figure it out. And when we give each other a lot of grace for that, and we give each other a lot of kudos because inside the high achiever mind, we're not giving ourselves kudos. We're criticizing ourselves incessantly. But what you and I and anyone listening, what we have the power to do is to disrupt somebody else's narrative and to disrupt it for good and to interject what we see that they don't. And again, it doesn't take a lot of time. It takes a very few words and we can reach somebody's heart. And not only can we reach their heart, but we can help them rethink and reshape 
their way of being because they didn't know that they were being seen and they didn't know the impact that they were having. You've given me something to focus and practice on this week. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for joining. I'm so proud to know you. Thank you for this experience. No matter what your insurance needs are, Set for Life Insurance has you covered. They're a nationally recognized leader in disability, life, and long-term care insurance, serving clients across all 50 states. Their dedicated team specializes in assisting medical residents, physicians, dentists, business owners, and other high-income professionals. Setforlifeinsurance.com or call them at 1-888-553-3559. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.